Hey, good morning. So it's been a while since we've been together like this. I like it, even though it's a little bit strange. Um, and this week we're continuing in the second week of our Advent series entitled, A Weary World Rejoices, which I think is such an apt and such an appropriate title for this year. Because I know that it's true for me. If I'm honest, I've felt weary and tired and frustrated and apathetic. And if we can be honest in church, I actually felt too exhausted to even put this sermon together. Because here's the thing. My world, like yours, has been disrupted. And while some of us have fared better than others, I have to believe that we have all felt the weight of this, this season, this year, at some point. And when our world is disrupted to the extent that it has been, I think it's revealing in terms of our priorities, that it can be disorienting and exhausting and lead to moments of despair. And in our exhaustion and perhaps even the seeming absence of God, we might even put our longings and our desires for fulfillment, for security, and for joy and pleasure in all the wrong places. Because when there's no easy way out, and in fact the way out seems beyond our control, it can be easy to turn to less than noble pursuits for something to fill what we believe we have lost. And what Advent does, what the season of Advent does, is it invites us to return our focus, our longing, our expectations, and our hope towards the mystery of the Messiah, the King who came and yet is still coming. And so this week, I want us to continue to engage in this Advent season without losing the reality of our current pandemic. A year where longings and expectations have not been met, where hope, love, joy, and peace have perhaps been elusive. A year where time has felt lost, never to be returned. A year we, where we have been separated from family, friends, and community for longer than any of us would have ever imagined or even desired resulting in a toll mentally, spiritually, relationally, and perhaps even physically for us as individuals and families as well as communities in ways that we don't even fully comprehend yet. And so to help us engage this week, I want to enter into this strange, unusual, even unprecedented Advent season with a strange, unusual, and even unprecedented story for this week's message. As I said, the sermon series is entitled, A Weary World Rejoices. And this week, I want to explore the story of a weary woman rejoicing. A story found in John chapter 4, 1 through verse, to verse 26. It's a story better known as the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman. Because while this is not a traditional Advent story, I believe that the conversation Jesus has with the woman captures the essence of what this Advent series is all about this year. And while the context is very different, I believe that if we read this passage carefully, I believe we will be able to resonate with this woman in ways that perhaps we've never been able to do so before. And therefore meet Jesus in this passage and receive from Jesus through this passage in ways that we have not done so before either. But before we jump into the actual passage and wade through it bit by bit, I just want to offer a little bit of background or context. 
If you've ever heard this story preached before or studied it for yourself, you probably already know some of these, these realities, the immediate tension that this passage holds. Because while Samaritans are descendants of Jews, at some point they were separated from them as they were taken into exile, and the Samaritans ended up intermarrying with Gentiles. Therefore, Jews saw them as half-breeds, sellouts, and heretics. Whereas the Samaritans only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. And after that, they believed Israel went into apostasy or heresy and that God had altogether abandoned them. And therefore, that they were the true heirs of the Old Testament faith. And so before we even jump into the story at all, we can sense the tension between these two groups of people. And just the, the radical sub subversive nature, really, of the conversation that Jesus is about to have with this woman at the well. And so let's jump in now. John 4, chapter 1. It begins like this. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. And so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way, which we don't really know why he had to do that, but he said that he did. And eventually he came to this Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob uh, gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came and drew water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. And he was alone at this time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So here we see Jesus was not only crossing racial lines and religious barriers. There's no way he should be talking to her, never mind sharing a drink vessel with her. But he's also breaking down gender separation here. Because as you may already know, he was not supposed to be talking to a woman in public. And a Jewish man was definitely not supposed to be talking to a Samaritan woman ever. But here's the point that I really want to dive into a little bit that I think might begin to connect with our own story through this pandemic if we're paying attention. It's the point that this happened at noon, which is unusual, as we know that women would normally go to the well together for safety and conversation during times of the day when it wasn't so hot. So we also already know at this point in the story, this woman was an outcast amongst her own people, meaning she had been forced into a life of loneliness, of isolation, separated from family and community, perhaps for years, unable to have a meaningfully engaged relationship with many people at all. And I assume it would not take as much imagination at this point in 2020 to understand what type of toll that must have been taking on her mentally, spiritually, and perhaps even physically. And so we pick up the story in verse 10. Jesus replied, If only you knew the gift God has for you. The gift God has for you. And who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir... You don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, 
Do you think you're better than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And she responds, please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. You see, this is classic Jesus just confusing people. And some scholars believe at this point, the woman is actually just mocking Jesus for what he's saying. But what we know for sure is that she isn't catching the essence of what he's offering her. She doesn't understand what he's saying. And so right now I want us to take a closer look at what it is Jesus is actually saying. He's saying, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask and I would give you living water. And then he continues, and those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. So for starters, I should point out that we're reading in the NLT or the New Living Translation today, which renders the verse 10 as saying, the gift God has for you. But I agree with some commentators who say that this isn't the best type of translation because in the Greek, what God gives is a noun phrase. It's literally the gift of God. It is not so much referring to what we get from God, but who we are invited into a relationship with. The gift of God self in the person of Jesus through the Spirit. And you see, Jesus' imagery of not thirsting after receiving what he offers confirms this as an invitation into relationship. As later in John 7, 37 to 39, we read strikingly similar language. It says, on that day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his hearts. And it goes on to say, when he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given uh, to any, everyone believing in him. And so Jesus, in this moment, has broken into this woman's existence and entered into her story of loneliness, isolation, separation from family and community, and has offered himself. He's offered relationship. By beginning with the conversation of physical thirst, he invites her into a deeper conversation about a deeper thirst, of something or someone rather that will truly quench her thirst and ours, even in the midst of life circumstances that seem overwhelming and too much to handle. But as she still seems to not understand that which he is saying, and the relationship he's inviting her into, he begins to peel back the layers of her life a little bit further to enter into even a bit of a deeper relationship. And so even, you could say, baiting her, in verse 16, Jesus continues. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You have five, you've had five husbands and you, uh, you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now, I just want to pause here also because we often jump to conclusions given our rem removal from this context about what, what's actually going on here. We tend to immediately assume that she's entirely to blame for the situation. 
But something we should keep in mind is that she couldn't divorce her husband. Only he could divorce her. And whether her first husband divorced her due to adultery or because he was simply done with her, we can't know this for sure. But what we do know is that the number and the type and quality of men who would have been willing to marry her after she was divorced would have drastically decreased. And so it's plausible that it was out of desperation that she continued to search for new providers of security in an ever-diminishing pool of prospects many who wouldn't necessarily have been upstanding and honorable. And so while having five husbands and living with a man who was not her husband seems to indicate that she might have had some responsibility for her situation, it's unwise to say for sure what we cannot know. Perhaps it's safest for us to infer that where this woman finds herself as she encounters Jesus at the well is due partly due to circumstances beyond her control and partly due to some decisions she made in response to her situation. And perhaps, if we're honest, this is true for many of us this morning also. Perhaps circumstances beyond our control this past year has put us into a position where it was easier to make decisions we wouldn't have otherwise made. Perhaps in our disillusionment, it has been more difficult to put our faith and trust in the Messiah who came and has promised to come again and instead have put our focus and our longings and our expectations and our thirsts on things below, as opposed to the one who holds all things together. And perhaps, instead of confronting our dashed dreams or seemingly unfulfilled longings and desires, we have been ignoring our brokenness and circumstances by listening to just one more podcast or going on another Netflix or YouTube binge, or opening up the fridge door just one more time, or working out too often and too long because we just don't want to engage with the dialogue in our head, or perhaps we open up the computer for one more search or change the topic to something less close to home as this woman is about to do. In verse 19, we read, Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, so tell me. Why is it that Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while Samaritans claim it's here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming... Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so the woman tries to change the topic to one about worship instead of her life and the gift Jesus claimed he had for her. And I don't want to lose sight of how Jesus responds to her in this moment. Because if you're like me, when you, you might fall into this trap when you read the line woman or dear woman, depending on your translation, to, to hear, listen here, lady, as I tell you what's what. You might hear Jesus being frustrated in her changing the topic or antagonism in Jesus' voice. But I think it's important to recognize that the term woman in Jesus' culture was not used dismissively or in a derogatory way, but it was a kind and loving expression. In fact, it's the same phrase he used when referring to his mother while dying on the cross. 
In John 19, 26, we read, When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Woman, or dear woman, here is your son. Let's not miss this. Let's not miss what's happening beneath the surface of this this conversation. Jesus is saying, I see you. I really see you. I see you behind the mask you're wearing. I see you behind the hurt and the brokenness and the exclusion that you felt. I see the you who has lost your way and has become disillusioned and has longings and expectations that perhaps died somewhere along the way. And I still offer you this gift, the gift of God, the gift of God's self, that which has the power to quench your deepest thirsts, even in the most difficult of times and circumstances. Jesus goes on to say, the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now. When what matters most is not where you were born, what gender you are, what lot you were dealt with in life, and what circumstances you are currently facing. The gift of God, the gift of God's self, and the person of Jesus through the Holy Spirit is available for all who would seek. In spirit, meaning from within, from the heart, being sincere, motivated by our love for God and gratitude for all he has done, and in truth, being informed by who God is and what he is like, exemplified in the person of Christ. And then in perhaps doubt or curiosity or even wonder, the woman says, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And so later, a few verses later, we read that she returns to her community, saying, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And so the people came streaming from the village to see him. And we read after that, that many came to believe because of this. And so in this encounter, in this woman's wilderness experience, in her isolation from community and circumstances that were placed on her, and perhaps that she also contributed to, She finds that which quenches thirst, the gift of God available to all who would knock and seek for they will find. But where does this leave us today? Well, while perhaps our circumstances might be very different, I think all of us can can identify with some of what she was feeling as we are in the midst of this pandemic. Isolation, Loneliness due to factors beyond our control, desiring community, exhaustion, and longing for rest from this nightmare. Perhaps disillusioned and even losing our hope in the promises of God, or at least forgetting them. And so this morning, I want to invite us to refocus our hope-filled longings, our desires for true lasting joy, our wish for lasting peace in these tumultuous days, on the only one who can offer us what our hearts most deeply long and thirst for, Christ's self. Just like Jesus inviting the woman at the well to receive the gift of God's self, I want to create space at the end of our time now to encounter Jesus for ourselves and to invite us to do similarly. To do this, I want to conclude our time by turning to Jesus through a prayer exercise called a liturgy of burdens being given to Jesus. 
Andrew Mills created for us, uh, created this for us as a staff to work through. And I want to offer it to us as a wider community now. Because here's what I believe. When we are weary, exhausted, lonely, and perhaps even disillusioned, when we're in the midst of struggle and perhaps making poor decisions, decisions based out of fear and out of fatigue, what we don't need is for me to tell us to do more or to read this or to think that or even for me to pray for you, but for me to offer space for us to come to Jesus together as individuals so that Jesus can offer us what only he can, the gift of God, that which will truly soothe our weary souls. And so let's begin. I want to say, first of all, that scripture was meant to be imagined. And so I'm going to read in a moment, Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, and then lead us through a contemplative journey to help us enter into that text more fully and to encounter Jesus in this moment. And so before I read the text, I want to invite you in this very moment to move into a posture where you may enter into this time most fully. Perhaps you may want to close your eyes, bow your head, and take a deep few breaths before I begin reading. Let's do that now. In Matthew eleven, twenty-eight to 30, we read, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy, heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Now, picture yourself coming to Jesus. Notice as you come to Jesus, your pace. Is it slow? Is it quick? Are you running to him? Or even just standing still? Is he moving towards you? As you picture this moment, picture yourself. Is your head held high? Is your gaze downcast and worn out? Are you confident or stooped? What is your posture as you come toward Jesus? Do you look at him with expectancy, with a burden, with hope? or burned out frustration? What is the look in your own eyes?
And as you come to Jesus, what do you do? Do you reach out to him? Does he reach out to you? Is he patiently waiting until you are ready? Are you ready to meet with him? What do you do? Now, I want you to look at your hands. What is it you are carrying? You are carrying something. Is it weariness? Something heavy? Is it anger? Betrayal or confusion? Maybe you're carrying something light and joy-filled. But what is it you are carrying? As you look at what you are carrying, do you give it to Jesus? Does he offer to take it? What do you do with it? Do you hold it together? Do you let it drop? Does he offer you something, maybe in return? What do you do with what you have been carrying? As you're with Jesus, what do you want to say to him? What do you want to express? What do you need him to know about where you are at right now? And I want you to picture him. Picture his face and his features. And now listen deep in your soul. What does he say to you? What words does he give you? What direction does he offer you? Now I invite you to just spend a few moments in prayer with Jesus. Amen and amen. May you go forward remaining in Christ and in him receiving what only he can offer, lasting hope, love, joy, and peace. Grace and peace.